it almost found us once we made the decision to bring the money. We stopped putting LOIs out and we started networking within the groups of people that we knew. And we just told the story of what we wanted to do. Hey, we want to deploy capital into a deal. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors, and together we partner on all of my deals. If you enjoy the podcast, give me a rating. Also, a review would be very, very much appreciated. And don't forget to like and follow me on social media. I'm pretty much you know, active on all of them, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. So you can find all my social media links and the show notes on my website, ellieperlman.com. Now, before we start the show today, I wanted to personally invite you to two of the events that I'm going to be speaking at. The first one is called Multifamily Investor Summit. And that's a pretty cool three-day online conference that's going to happen June 27th until June 29th. And it's a great place for you not only to gain knowledge about real estate investing, but also to meet and network with other passive investors and with syndicators. So if you're going to use the promo code Ellie, which is E-L-L-I-E, you can get $100 off of the full access pass. You can find tickets at www.multifamilyinvestornation.com. Now, the second one is an event hosted by my good friend, Adam Adams, called Raising Money Summit. So that's going to happen in Denver on October 3rd until October 5th. And if you use the promo code Ellie again, you can get 30% off until the end of June. And then it goes down to 25% in July. So what I love about this one is that it's going to teach you everything you need to know about raising capital. So as a syndicator and an investor, you can learn the real secrets behind raising millions of dollars from investors and syndicators that actually did it. You're going to, you know, have takeaways from tactical strategies so you can go out and close more deals in less time. You're also going to discover the proven methods professionals use to create win-win deals and partnerships, and you'll be able to stop worrying about how you are going to fund your next real estate deal. So don't miss this premium conference. It can definitely be a game changer for you and help you to dominate any niche of real estate. So if you, again, want to use the promo code Ellie, you can get 30% off this month, the month of June. You can get tickets at www.raisingmoneysummit.com. All right. So I think by now we're ready to start the show. Our guest today is Stephen Lipman. Stephen graduated from Boston University and has spent over 10 years in real estate 
first as a broker for several years and then as an investor. He's one of the managing partner of a residential investment firm based in New Jersey, doing over $50 million in transactions and over 150 deals a year. Now that's a huge number right there. So in addition, beginning in 2017, he became one of three founders and managing director of Integrity Capital Group, specializing in sourcing and executing commercial properties. So Stephen sits on the Rutgers Advisory Board on Design Thinking and has been published in Forbes multiple times this year. So today, Stephen will share with us the story about his first deal and how he overcame the hurdle of buying a deal without experience and scaling his business to a $35 million under management. So I'm really excited to have Stephen on the show today. How are you, Stephen? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you're sitting in New Jersey, right? I am. How is uh, New Jersey? You, you mentioned earlier before we started recording, we were chatting a little bit about New Jersey, said that you live by the water. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So we live at the Jersey Shore. So it's actually beautiful beaches here. It's not quite New York. It's not quite Philly. It's kind of its own third central part of the state. So mm-hmm. Very exciting. And you're buying real estate in New Jersey or also outside of the area? No, so we don't actually buy in our backyard. Price per door and cap rate compression in the tri-state area is very hard to come by decent deals for cash flow. So we we focus on the Midwest and Southeast. Oh, interesting. All right. And so you are going to share with us a story of how you started because I hear it a lot from, you know, people who want to get into syndication, want to get into real estate and they say, I don't have experience. How can I start? And you found a very creative and great way to bypass that hurdle of, you know, being inexperienced. So walk me through, you know, the story. What year are we right now? And where are you? What do you do in life before you decided to kind of transition to real estate? Yeah. So I graduated from college in 2004. And it was seven years later that we got into real estate investing full time. I was a real estate broker previously working for REO agents and sourcing deals for single-family residential investors, and we did really well with that, and I saw what they were doing, and I figured, hey, you know, I could do this too. So we started a a wholesale firm. We're one of the bigger wholesalers in the state now. We'll do somewhere between 175 and 200 deals a year, and we'll flip some of those deals, and, you know, so we grew that business, but, you know, it just doesn't create the passive income that you want. So I think a lot of us get into real estate, and we think, hey, this is going to give me the freedom that I want and the passive income and the, all of the benefits that we know real estate comes with. When you're doing 200 transactions a year, that's, that's not really the case. It's a very transactional business. So everything is, is driven by, you know, every day is a Monday. Oh, that's the phrase that I'm using. I'm saying every day is a Monday, including Saturdays, including Sundays. That's totally true. Right. You have to start all over every day and you have to find more deals. You have to spend more money in marketing. You have to. So mm-hmm. it was a great stepping stone, but the goal was always to get into a passive rental portfolio or something that would create passive income. Because our definition of financial freedom is really when I know that I could wake up in the morning and my monthly bills are paid and I don't have to do anything to go actually transact that business to accomplish that goal. 
Right. And, and many investors think that they can be passive investors if they buy one or two doors, but there's a lot of work that is involved with it. It's really hard to scale. And it's also really hard to find someone that will take care of that unit for you because you need to make some money. And then if, it, you know, on one or two doors, paying someone to take care of, you know, tenants and, and screening them and fixing, you know, calling someone when the toilet, you know, breaks, there's nothing passive about that. It's a, just another job that you, that you just get. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, when we start out in the investing game, we kind of fall into that trap. We think, hey, if I go get 10 doors, I'll replace my income. And then you have 10 separate roofs and 10 separate HVAC systems and 10 different tenants. And it costs, you know, eight to 10% to manage that if you don't want to be involved in the day to day. So we looked at that really hard, actually. We said, hey, why don't we start acquiring some of the deals that we're buying? We're buying stuff at 50 cents on the dollar, 60 cents on the dollar of retail. So it would make sense to do, you know, a lot of people talk about the Burr effect, right? The buy, renovate, rent, re, refi. And then we started getting around some multifamily investors, $150 million under management. And every single one of them told us the same thing, which was their biggest pain in the neck property was the smallest one they own. Yeah. You know, they were telling us about these 75, 100, 150 unit buildings where the economies of scale really allowed for third party management, professional third party management, for professional accountants and professional lawyers, and just a real high echelon professional team that the deal could absorb the cost of. So, you know, we said, well, that's really interesting, but man, I don't know if my first deal could be a hundred unit deal. And that was a little bit of a mindset shift that we needed to undergo to really believe that that was something that we could do. So we bought in. We said, okay, we could do that. So let's go find a deal, right? So we went to a couple of classes, went to a couple of seminars. We learned how to underwrite deals. We understood what people were looking for. We understood how to model a deal out in those big Excel models and figure out internal rates of return and return on investment and cash flow, all of those different metrics. And then we went and put a bunch of LOIs out. Well, nobody cares that we were going to flip 200 houses this year. In the residential space, that's, that's, you know, kudos to you. Good job. That's a pretty good operation. In the commercial space, it's not assets under management and it doesn't mm -hmm. translate to a broker right. wanting to give you an off-market deal because he's not really sure if you can execute on it. Right. It's a different animal. Yeah. So, that was our big challenge. And we put a lot of LOIs out. We built a lot of really strong relationships. And people, although they liked us, they didn't see a background where they were confident in giving us their first $10 million project. Mm -hmm. Because surety of close, right? These guys, they, they make money off of commission. They want to make sure that they're presenting deals to people that could execute. And I understood that as a previous broker. I just didn't know how to clear the hurdle. So one of our mentors said, look, the money's not really in the deal. The money's in the money. And I thought about that a little bit. And I said, so how do you get into these deals? And he said, well, look, you could partner with me or you could partner with another experienced sponsor that's seeing the deal that you're not seeing, right? They're seeing the good deals before you're seeing them. And then just tell them that you could bring the money to it. And so that was the next mental block that we had to overcome it. Well, can we bring all that money? Oh, yeah. And luckily for us, we had the background in residential and we have had investors giving us money for our fix and flips. So we did have a couple million dollars deployed with us that if we reached out to those people and said, hey, you know, we haven't really been able to deploy your money for 12 months at a time, right? Because we're flipping a house, giving your money back, flipping a house, giving your money back. 
it didn't create the consistency in the return that they were getting. So if we were giving them a 10% return, they were only getting eight because it wasn't deployed for the entire 12 months. So a lot of those people wanted to come with us into this space because it created more consistent returns for them. So we did. So our first deal, you know, we, so we started first with sponsors, you know, who do we want to work with? Whose deal do we want to fund? And then what's the timeline in which we had to fund something? We didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves into something that had to fund in three weeks. We didn't know how fast we could raise that money. So the right sponsor and the right deal came along and we partnered with a company called Island Estate Group, mm-hmm. who's a partner of ours in a couple of deals now. How long did it take you to, to wait until you got you know, the right partner and the right deal? It, it almost found us once we made the decision to bring the money. We stopped putting LOIs out and we started networking within the groups of people that we knew and we just told the story of what we wanted to do. Hey, we want to deploy capital into a deal. And it wasn't much longer after that, you know, probably, probably a month or two, where we got a phone call and it said, hey, we have this storage facility, ground up construction under contract, look at the metrics, we already knew the sponsor, and we did a deep dive on the feasibility study and whether or not that was an asset class we wanted to be in, and then vetted the sponsor on top of that. And it looked like the right deal for us. And we decided, all right, let's, let's do this. We're gonna, we're gonna dive in and we're gonna raise the capital. We had to raise $4 million. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's very impressive for, you know, first deal. So I know that people who actually do that, young syndicators, they start with 250,000, half a million, 4 million. That's very, very impressive. And I think you were in a really great position. You were already in real estate. You were already networking with investors and you used your strength to compensate for your weaknesses. Absolutely. And we had people that wanted to deploy capital with us and we couldn't take it responsibly because we weren't flipping that many houses at the same time. Mm -hmm. The majority of our business was wholesaling. So we only chose the right deals to flip for us. So we had money waiting in the wings. We just couldn't deploy it. So this was a much bigger jump. It was easier to do than we thought. And we, we partnered with some folks that helped us raise the capital too. So you know, it's many, many hands make light work and we're able to partner with a couple of people and get our first deal funded and completed. And we're, I don't know, maybe 90 days away from full CO now. It's a $14 million project. It was a $4 million capital raise. Cube Smart is going to manage it. It's a 180,000 square foot storage facility down just outside of Orlando. That's great. Yeah, it was so our big, our first commercial deal, our first passive income project was a really large class A storage facility. That's great. And how long did it take you to raise those $4 million? It took us three weeks to raise the 2.2 to close on the land. And that was very quick. And then we had about another 90 days until we had entitlements to break ground. So That's amazing. That's, that's amazing. And the, so I want to kind of talk about the capital raising process. So when now that you're obviously more experienced, you, you've been doing that for, for a long time, you have a deal in a pipeline. At what time in the process do you start raising capital? Do you wait until the deal is under contract? Do you wait until it's in the due diligence you know, phase? Or do you start raising money earlier than that? Yeah. So... Everybody likes the ABC from Glen Gary, Glen Ross, right? Always. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, ours is ABR, always be raising. So 
we're constantly having conversations and there's a, there's a long cycle to educating the investor about what it is that we do. So at some point we're always talking about either previous deals that we're doing or upcoming deals mm -hmm. that we have under contract. You know, so we've, we've executed on three deals so far this year for a total of about $35 million under management. We have another two deals under contract currently for almost another $30 million that are closing in the next 60 and 120 days respectively. So we have deal flow. We've partnered with great sponsors that have consistent deal flow. So the short answer to your question is we raise per project. So we have a private placement memorandum per project that's created. So we are under contract and that's created before we start taking subscriptions for that particular deal. But really it's, it's a constant conversation because we're talking to new people that are just learning about us. We're talking about people that missed the last deal that now want to get involved. And there's a, there's a pretty hefty education component mm -hmm. to our target audience. Our target audience is not typically people that have seen PPMs before. It's newer investors that, you know, it's the 90% of the world that is invested in Wall Street and mutual funds and plays. And it's letting people know that, one, the option exists to be able to invest in these deals. And then educating them about, you know, why commercial, mm -hmm. rate, why the deals that we're doing, why the markets that we're in things like that. So it's a constant process. Mm -hmm. And when you said PPM earlier, you basically meant private placement memorandum, which is basically the document. It's kind of the contract between the sponsor or the syndicator and the limited partners. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. So you're always raising, you're always in the process of educating. And I agree, it's actually amazing. It was amazing to me how many people are not familiar with the whole syndication model. And it takes time because if someone reaches out to you and you're already raising and they don't don't even know what how syndication works it's going to be very hard to bring them on board because you want them to process the information to know you know you you want to have enough time to educate them so the next time they're ready to go you have a deal then the focus is only do i like this deal because they already you know learned what a syndication was so you don't you don't actually spend time teaching them when you're in that you know 30 60 days of of raising capital so yeah i i love that so do you have any defined process on how to raise or it kind of as investors you know join then then you kind of figure out what to do yeah so we're starting to create consistent processes you know it's, it's helpful that we came from a marketing business to mm -hmm. we were looking for distressed sellers and we were able to drum up a lot of business through different marketing channels to create that conversation so now we're doing similar things in areas that we think those people would like to know about this stuff so doctors lawyers dentists basically professionals that are looking to take control of their financial future is kind of the process, right? So now it's marketing to those people, letting them know who we are, letting them know that the opportunity exists. I think, you know, like you said before, a lot of people don't know that the opportunity exists to directly invest into these deals and make, you know, sometimes double, triple, quadruple market returns. And, you know, I came from a background where everybody just put their 401k into a mutual fund and kind of hoped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And during the last downturn, a lot of tech guys got hurt. A lot of just professionals that had their life savings in, into mutual funds and things like that, they got hurt and they didn't know that there was other options. So in terms of diversification, we like to be able to educate people and let them know that, hey, banks and insurance companies put the majority of their money into assets like this for a reason. 
right? Because it's more stable, secure, and consistent than the roller coaster of the market. And look, there's arguments for, for both strategies, and I, I can agree one way or the other, but letting people know that the options out there is kind of the, the education process. So our defined process is really telling our story, and better than that, letting our investors tell their story, right? Why are they investing with us? Why, you know, what made them decide to take control of their financial future, and how did they do that? And then further down the line, why did they choose us? Why did they choose this asset? But from a high level, the people that are getting involved, they have a great story to tell other people, you know, and then we capture them and we educate them and we talk to them about what their goals are. And if they align with ours, then we get to partner. It's the best thing about this business is you get to partner with people that you like, know and trust. Yeah. And you get to choose them. Exactly. That, that's a beauty in this business. Absolutely. Do you use any tools or websites that help you raise capital, you know, quickly? So we haven't. We are looking at a couple of crowdfunding platforms. You know, I think will be helpful. We do have the track record now to get on a couple of these platforms. So we are looking at it. And then, you know, internally for our for our investors, we have investor portals that are built into our website where they can log in and they can see their own investments. They can see the capital that they have deployed, they can see the return of capital, they can see their quarterly distributions, they can see all the documents that, that pertain to that particular project. So our storage facility investors can go in, they can log in, they can actually see a, a live camera, a live HD camera that is filming what's going on real time in terms of pouring concrete and putting steel up. And then they can also look through the engineering plans and you know they can see artists renderings of what the finished product's going to look like so we share a lot we, we want it to be a very interactive experience with our investors you know you can log into your 401k account and see what your money's doing and I, I think that commercial real estate might be a little bit behind the curve in terms of being able right. to do that so, so we're able to do that for our investors so we like to do that internally and that way we can do video updates and monthly managerial updates and all that stuff right through the portal and it keeps people really connected that's great that's really great and and i really liked your story about how you found the way to kind of tap into your network and and bring your you know basically your strengths in and and bring value to the table so when people you know some people tell me why would an experienced partner work with me if i'm just starting out what would you say to those people well what we found was that everybody has a limit right there's at some point even experienced operators they have a limitation in terms of either raising capital, deploying capital, finding deal flow. So you really just need to find those partners and ask them what they need, right? Everybody's need is different. Some people need deals, some people need money, but we've learned pretty quickly that the capital has the loudest voice. So if you can legitimately bring capital to a deal, you can really jump the line and jump into a lot more deals. I mean, we've turned down more deals this month than we're funding because we're starting to reach capacity levels of how much can we raise and how fast. So it's a great problem to have, but there are deals out there. They do need to get funded and your competition in terms of who is raising capital, you know, if you can find an edge on how to raise capital a little better or just having that personal relationship with a sponsor, then you'll be able to get into some deals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. And so Stephen, where can our listeners find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah. So you can go to integritycapitalgroup.com. 
you can email us at steven at integritycapitalgroup.com. And we're on LinkedIn, Facebook. I mean, we're, we're everywhere just trying to tell our story so you can find us. All right, perfect. Steven, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your story with us and your insights about raising capital. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.